Hi everyone, welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo. Nick Polak can't be on tonight, so we got Matt DeBear here. Matt, what's going on? Not much, Bill. How are you doing this lovely evening? Uh, Pitt lost this weekend to Penn State, so I'm actually doing pretty well. Um, as you can guess, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about that on today's episode of the podcast. What we learned from the game, uh, some things that were maybe encouraging and we weren't too hot about, and then... You know, just some other general thoughts along with our usual Big Ten recap every week. But I flew through that on purpose because I want to say as many times as possible on this edition of the podcast that Penn State beat Pitt 33-14. Pitt came into Happy Valley and the score almost isn't reflective of the game that was played. Like It was a very, very weird football game. And we'll get get to that a little bit later in the podcast, but... Matt, I want to start by asking the question I always start on our recap pod, which was, what did you learn from this week's game? Um, I don't know if there's like one big overall theme or one big takeaway. Um, you know, I think we made a big deal last week, both in what we put on the site and on Twitter and, and everything, that none of us really thought this game was going to be that close. Um, and it wasn't, you know, it was 33-14, it was, you know, the 19-point win, it never really felt like Pitt was in the game, but it didn't play out at all like we expected, um, as far as <clears throat> Penn State taking advantage of a decimated and not very good Pitt secondary from everything that, that we knew going in. Um, you know, Barkley didn't have that, you know, big, you know, 200-plus yard game, um, McStroley didn't light up, um, it was just a, and we'll we'll get to this a little bit later. It's just kind of a weird game as far as how it played out. But I think that the big takeaway that I have is, for, with as poorly as everything kind of played out for Penn State, relatively speaking, you know, not you know just being a little bit off by, in my opinion, a lot of their own doing. Um, they still won pretty pretty handily. They never really felt like they were on the verge of of. Certainly not losing, and definitely not even really letting Pitt back in the game from you know really that first series after the opening interception. Yeah, I my, my big the big thing that I learned is that Penn State it's it just seems like a really well rounded team. I mean, I don't think uh, we we came into this season we there were some concerns, you know, maybe linebacker depth could be an issue, maybe that second safety spot, maybe we want to see what happens. In the secondary, uh, maybe we want to see what happens with the receivers. Like I, I don't know. There was never any concern, at least in my eyes, that there was going to be one spot that was going to be a massive Achilles heel for this team. And this game kind of proved that. I mean, nobody, like, nobody really played outstanding Like when you're going unit by unit. I'll, I mean, I'll give... I'll, I'll say that Marcus Allen, I thought, had a fantastic game, and you know he's my pick for the game MVP, and y'all can read about that on the site. But I thought, in terms of a well-rounded performance, of you know the offense was a little bit off, but it wasn't terrible. I mean, it had a very it had a solid game, considering how a little of the ball Penn State saw the defense. The defense let Pitt play its game but at no point got caught up in that and got caught in the smoke and mirrors that Pitt was using or really seemed like it was letting Pitt do too terribly much. I mean, Pitt was getting yards and stuff, but at no point did I feel like they were really in control of the game. And then, of course, special teams were 
really good. I mean, Blake Gilligan had a great game. Tyler Davis did what uh, Tyler Davis has to do. Saquon Barkley on returns was fun. DeAndre Tompkins on returns. Uh, the fact that we have a good return man in DeAndre Tompkins wearing the blue and white, a legitimately good return man and not just like relatively speaking to the last, uh, I don't know, like six to seven years of Penn State return men who, you know, a lot of fair catches, a lot of catch the ball and fall forward, and that's how you get three yards is, like, really refreshing. But I think we saw, and it wasn't all happening at once. Like, Penn State's defense wasn't being this dominant, smothering force at the same time the offense was clicking on all cylinders or anything like that. But we got to see how well-rounded Penn State is. And once the team shakes off what I think was – uh it shakes off maybe some of those last little bits of offseason rust, and we see what Penn State is with, as this fully formed beast. Again, as we've said, they won by 19. They did not seem like at any point they were really uh, imposing themselves on Pitt, and I think that is beyond encouraging. I actually want to move – we have our little agenda here. I actually want to move something up uh, just because you and I have kind of alluded to that, and that is the whole – it almost seemed like Penn State struggled in a way. I mean, when you look at the numbers, if you take the fact that Pitt, if you take the score out of it, Pitt had ten more first downs. Pitt had thirty more yards. Uh, Pitt had more yards through the air and on the ground. Uh, time of possession was thirty-eight minutes and twenty seconds for Pitt to twenty-one minutes and forty seconds for Penn State. I don't have like play counts or anything like that. But Pitt had the just had the ball way more. It seemed like Pitt dominated this game, and and you see that Penn State won thirty three to fourteen. So I'm going to say the sentence, and I don't know if I agree with this. I'm just putting it out there as like a way to start the conversation. Penn State seemed to struggle, but won by nineteen points. Do you agree with that sentence? I think in its on the general premise, yes. I'm not sure "struggle" is the right word. Um, it, it's funny, you know, to watch the game sitting in the stadium yesterday and, you know, just kind of the, the general sentiment of the fan base, you know, the people that sit around you and my own personal um, impression was Trace McSorley didn't have a good game. You know, we'll, we'll take that as, as one example. And then you go in and you look after the game and he was 15 for 28. Um, how many yards did he have here? Um, where's it on here? I can't see, I can't read the 164, stats, but, so. Okay. So yeah, he didn't yeah. have that. He, he wasn't, well, he like, was, eating up yards through the air. He also had 65 yards on the ground, though, so. Exactly, but it it felt like it was a lot worse than that. You know, if you would ask me right after the game, before I had a chance to look at the stats, you know, Trace, was Trace McSorley um, 50% or, or better um, in pass attempts? I would have said no. It just didn't feel like. But you go and you look after, and he, and he wasn't. Or he was. He was whatever 15 divided by 28 is, 53% or something, I think. Um but he missed those plays that for the last almost year now we've expected him to make. We've gotten used to him making. I think that speaks volumes about how much he's progressed. Um, if there's one thing that one area that I think you really could say struggled, um, and I haven't watched watched the replay of the game to to get a sense for how much this is really true, but it felt like the offensive line maybe took a step back from what we saw. Um, last week against Akron, and I know you're ta- you're to step up in talent level with Pitt versus Akron. Um, that's a whole other discussion as far as Pitt and Akron that I'm sure we'll get into at some point during the conversation here. Um, 
but I think Pitt was able to do some things with um, bringing pressure from you know the extra guy or the extra couple guys that seemed to confuse, especially the interior of the line at times. Um, I thought um, Ryan Bates didn't have his best game at tackle. Um, I thought the uh, the Pitt end there, I can't remember who it was, spent most of his Wayne day lining up against him. Um, yeah, Hendricks had a, had a really solid game, um, but I it it felt like that contributed a little bit to McSorley's game um, in the in the sense that because they were getting pressure somewhat consistently or some semblance of pressure, he I found him looking to escape the pocket more. Um, you know, last week against Akron. The the most impressive thing, you know, taking just the numbers and, and everything out of it, was just his pocket awareness was really good. Um, you know, he was able to step up, um, step into throws, um, knew when he needed to tuck the ball and run. Yesterday, um, or Saturday, we're, we're recording this Sunday night, but you're going to listen to it on Monday morning. Um, on Saturday, it felt like the pressure that Pitt generated early led to later in the game looking to extend the play earlier than he might have needed to, which contributes to um, you know, the, the lack of success throwing, too. You know, you're, you're taking away half the field because you're running to one side. You're um, you know, throwing on the run, that sort of thing. Um, but at the same time, I think early on he was off. Um, the little bit of the replay I saw this morning before getting on the road back home, um, that overthrow to, I think it was Gasicki on the sideline, you know, 15, 18-yard out. Yeah, on like um, the, that, their second or third drive or something like that. I think it was the first true possession after after the interception. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Quick score. Um, he just you know airmailed um, Gasicki. Was probably five yards at least over his head. But, you know, never really had a chance to make a play. And then um, that was the second down play. On third down, um, Pitt was able to get a little bit of pressure, and um, I think it forced a high and wide throw to Johnson, a little drag route that um, led to the punt. Just a little that that early start, I think probably you know plays a little bit in my opinion. Um, but he also made some great throws. I think the throw to Barkley on the um, the was it the third touchdown, the the, the, the long catcher run. We all know what we're yeah. talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. But it was a really good throw down the seam. You know, just put it. You know, relatively speaking, right right past the defender's ear, right in the to Barkley's hands. You know, didn't didn't break stride at all. Um, I thought the throw to Polk down the sideline was really good. Yeah, and that was um, a great catch by Polk. A great catch. Too. It was it was a it was good coverage, but it was yeah. um, he put the ball in the perfect spot for Polk to make the play. Uh, I'm not sh- I never saw the replay, so I don't know if he actually was that the play I'm thinking of where it struggled for. I wasn't sure he got got a foot in or not. But well, the anyway. one the one that you're talking about was the Deion uh, yeah, Deshaun Hamilton catch that. Oh, happened. okay, yeah. I think um, I believe Polk's catch was in the third quarter. Hamilton's in the fourth quarter. But but I I think. We look at that, you know, Barkley didn't have the huge running day. Um, he had a couple runs that, that he broke. There were a couple that it felt like he was really close to breaking for um, a really long, long run. Um, but it felt like this, we've gotten so accustomed for literally almost a year now of the, of the offense just really not missing a beat. You know, if the run game wasn't there, the pass game was. And this is the first time really since probably the first half against Minnesota that Nothing was really working really well. And you're going to have days like that. You know, you watch the best, you know, I'm going to go back to the Thursday NFL game. Um, Tom Brady, who's, you know, inarguably one of the best quarterbacks of all time, was not that good. You, you, it happens. And I think um, going back to, to the original question, 
Penn State didn't play well. I don't think they struggled, but they just weren't playing well. They were, you know, a half step off here, a half step off there. And they beat a Power Five conference team by 19 points. And like we've said a couple times, it wasn't really that close. Pitt um, got to as close as 14 3 and then 28 14. And at both points, it never really felt like they were getting any closer than that. You know, getting, keeping it right, within two right. scores was was kind of their best case scenario, um, and it, and it really you know, seemed as I'm looking at the the way the scores worked out here, the the clo- the point where it felt like they really had a chance to to maybe get back into it was when they kicked the field goal to make it 14-3, um, and they get it to halftime. They've got it at two scores, um, and then they come out in the second half and they don't do anything on their first drive. Penn State's first possession is the 46-yard catch-and-run for Barkley. So in the course of really three possessions there, the game was over. It was 21-6, and then shortly after that was uh, 28-6 here, as I'm trying to read. or 21-6, and then it was 28-6 again very quickly after that. So it just never really felt like Pitt was ever going to get in the game, and there's a number of reasons why that's why I think that happened, but it, the the biggest thing I took, we took away was despite all that, and it's a sign of, of a good team that you don't play your best and you beat an, a Absolutely. decent enough team Absolutely. that handily. Um, and we saw it from Ohio state and that's, that's a whole nother discussion. Their game against Oklahoma. Oh, but, well, don't worry. We're getting to that later, but they didn't play. They did not play very well against Indiana in their opening game. And they found a way to win by what was it, twenty-one or twenty-eight points. So it's in Ohio State's still a good team, but good teams find ways to do that. You know, you watch Alabama will have a game like that this year. Clemson will have a game like that this year. Um, the best teams in the country don't have it every week, but they find ways to win. Um, it's, it's like the pitcher in baseball that doesn't have his best stuff that grinds out six innings and uh, and gets the, the ball to the bullpen and they they uh, hang on to win. It's that kind of thing where you you don't have your best effort and you you grind it out and, and and control the game. Yeah, I mean it I think that we don't the big reason Penn State I thought looked like it struggled was it just didn't have the ball. It just did not have the chance to get into any kind of a consistent rhythm. And when you have when you have the ball for you know 21 minutes and 40 seconds when the time of possession battle is two to one to the other team. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to be able to get into that rhythm. McSorley wasn't able to get into that rhythm. Uh, It took Barkley a little bit. I mean, he looked a lot better in the second half once he started getting to the outside and like just trying to blow by defenders and all that. But for the first half, it was a lot of Pitt has the ball Penn state. I mean, Penn State, two of their three scoring, two of their scoring drives were a four second drive and a nine second drive. I mean, when they had, when they had the opportunity to pounce, they pounced. But other than that, it was a lot of just, you know, we're, we're not able to get into a rhythm. The defense is playing well. We trust the defense, whatever. I mean, again, this kind of thing happens. I think the reason that I won't say that Penn State struggled, though, was because of that defense. I thought the defense did a good job. Because the thing with Pitt is even though there are a lot of smoke and mirrors in Pitt's offense, you know, they're constantly moving guys around. They're constantly trying to unbalance the line of scrimmage. Like, 
they'll break the huddle and they will have two guys on one side of the line. And then after they get up there, those two guys will run to the other side of the line. There are a lot of, uh, you know, pre-snap guys running in front of the set, the quarterback and just showing you and trying to confuse you with all these smoke and mirrors. And the defense just did not bite on any stuff like this. And I think when you have a defense that's doing that, and yeah, you know, Pitt's offensive line is, it's a Pittsburgh offensive line. Pitt's had the same great offensive line for God knows how long. Quadri Olson was able to get his. Sean uh, Tez Moss was able to get his. Darren Hall had a nice run or two. Those things are going to happen. Whatever. The much bigger thing to me is that last season when Penn State and Pitt played, Pitt wasn't necessarily... Pitt got a lot up the middle. You know, they got a lot of stuff where it was give it to James Conner and he's going to rumble. But so much was made of, you know, Quadre Henderson, four carries, 58 yards. They were doing all that weird stuff and Penn State just struggled with it. Henderson this year, two carries for negative five yards. Penn State was keeping everything happening in the middle of the field. When they were able to do that, it's able to make stopping the run a little bit easier. When you were able to put Pitt into positions where you have to pass, I mean, we saw with Max Brown, he just did not look especially comfortable. I mean, I mean, I know we barely saw anything and it was all garbage time out of Ben DiNucci, but if Pitt's first starting quarterback for their game against Oklahoma State is not Ben DiNucci, I'm going to be like blown away because... Max Brown is supposedly good at throwing the football, and he was very bad at throwing the football on Saturday. So even though the offense was never really able to do anything, and they quote-unquote struggled, which I thought was more just you know an inability to get into any kind of a sustained rhythm, the defense was able to pick up the slack, and the defense was able to make sure that uh, you know Pitt only put 14 points on the board, that Pitt only scored one touchdown, like, just all those things made it so, like, I was generally pretty encouraged with that. Uh, I yeah, you, you bring yeah. up a good point with the defense. Um, the game last year, I don't think Pitt really did anything differently offensively this year than they did last year. Uh, I think the quarterback play was a big difference, obviously. Brown, yeah. you know, throwing the two key interceptions. Yeah, and but, whereas, you know, I Nate Peterman last year, I have his numbers up here. Um he actually threw for fewer yards than uh, Max Brown did. Brown, 19 for 32, 138 yards, two interceptions. Peterman, 11 for 15, 91 yards. But he had three intercepts, three touchdowns and one interception. Like, Pitt last year was so much smarter with the football and was so much better at just making those, like, you know, doing the safe stuff. Well, I, I think, that, too, yeah. as, as I'm looking here... Um, the point I was, I was trying to get into is in the second half last year against Pitt, the defense really only gave up seven points. They got the second touchdown uh, for that long kickoff return that set up with a five or ten yard field. But Pitt was able to create big plays on the back of Penn State either losing contain on that jet sweep or missing tackles or you know some combination of, of, of all those things where Penn State was out of position and then missed a tackle, that sort of thing. They did an outstanding job on Saturday of just, you know, we, we laugh at the whole bend, don't break mindset, but it was kind of what they did. I'm looking at the drive chart here. Um, Penn, Pitt had a, a drive in the first quarter, 15 plays, 
for and this I can't imagine this this doesn't seem like it was right. It was fifteen plays and thirty one yards that took eight minutes off the clock and they punted. That, um, the first yeah, sure. the first that, field goal that sounds exactly right, yeah. Was fifteen plays, seventy seven yards, five and a half minutes. Uh, the second field goal was nine plays, fifty nine yards, four and a half minutes. The touchdown drive was nine plays, seventy five yards, almost five minutes. Um, I think Penn State was was more than content to let, especially when they got the lead, was they, they knew Penn, Pitt doesn't have the ability between either the quarterback play or the, the, the receiving threat to beat you downfield. So as long as they kept that play in front of them, they were content to let them hit that little shovel pass for five yards here, six yards there, and eat up five minutes a clock because they weren't going to get back in the game that way um, unless Penn State made a mistake. And I think um, you know, it was pretty obvious that that was not going to happen other than, um, you know, the, the long interception at the end of the first half and, and Sanders fumble, there wasn't really anything in the way Penn state approached the game. Once they got up two scores that made you think that they were taking a chance. They didn't really need exactly. to. Exactly. I mean, I, uh, I, I remember they, were hit. they, they oh, made their ahead. tackles that they, they made the tackles. They kept the play in front of them. Yeah. It was frustrating to watch Pitt, you know, nickel and dime their way down the field. But, um, I, the, the more I think about it, the more I talk through this, it seems like that was very much by design because they knew they weren't going to get beat deep. They were you know, going to let them you know, hit the little pass up the middle, you know, six plays in a row, much to the chagrin of the guy in front of me that was convinced that was the only play they had and we should stop it. <laughs> but it was, it really feels like that, that when they got up big, there was, there wasn't any, anything that Pitt was doing or anything that they thought Pitt might do that would, you know, allow them to hit that big play to get right back in the game quickly. They were going to yeah. have to go down the field, eat up a lot of clock, which I, by that point was much to Penn State's advantage. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I go back to uh, the 6.04 mark of the fourth quarter. Blake Gillikin just has this absolutely gorgeous punt. Gets down at the four-yard line. It's still only, with 6.04 left, a two-score football game. Under most circumstances... Like, yes, the defense was played well, but Pitts had the ball the entire time. They've been wearing the defense down. Going 96 yards and scoring would have been tough. Uh, of course, and then you have to kick to Penn State, hope you can get the ball back, all these things. But it's still two scores. Pitt only has to find the end zone two times, and that's it. That's ball game. What ends up happening instead, and we're even going to take the safety out of it, uh, which was awesome, and Marcus Allen uh, celebrating it was tremendous, and I still laugh every time I see that picture in the <laughs> background of my cell phone now. But they end up taking, uh, you know, Pittsburgh 96 yards. I don't think at any point I was worried, not because going 96 yards to score and then getting the ball back is really difficult, but because like Pitt's just not designed to do that. Pitt at no point in the second half was within. Uh, no, that's a, that's a yeah, that's inaccurate. My bad. Uh, Pitt wasn't within two scores until that point, until after the touchdown uh, that Ben Denucci came in and they got the two point conversion on. That happened with ten minutes left in the fourth quarter. And I didn't trust that Pitt could get the ball twice. We'll give Penn State two one-minute drives. So Pitt, that means they have eight 
minutes with the football. I didn't trust that in eight minutes they can go down the length of the field twice and score two touchdowns because they're just not designed to do that. And that's something that, like you said, I think Penn State knew that. They were very content to, okay, Quadrilles, and you're going to get your three or four yards on a carry. We're totally fine with that. We, Of course, we prefer if that didn't happen, but that kind of thing happens. Whatever. We'll try and get it so you're in situations where Max Brown has to drop back and throw the football. We trust our secondary to make sure that can't happen. We trust that we can get pressure on him. And, you know, guys like you know Grant Haley got a sack, Koa Farmer got a sack, Sharif Miller got two sacks, Robert Windsor got a sack. We're getting into the backfield. We're making his life difficult. And he just wasn't comfortable throwing the football. And I think that, yeah, so it, it just did not seem like Pitt was going to ever be in any kind of position to threaten, especially later in the game where even though it was technically – closer than 28, you know, 28-14 is a relatively close score in football. It didn't feel like they were ever threatening at any point. Let's move no, on. No, and, and oh, real, real quick, just oh, one more ahead. point that you made, uh, kind of came to my mind when you mentioned the the um, the punt that ultimately set up that safety. Look at the, at the two plays Pitt ran down two scores with 96 yards to go yep. in six minutes and four yep. seconds on the clock. They ran a shovel pass that was incomplete, and then they threw a little flare pass that Allen was all over for the safety. I realize you're in your own end zone, but you're, they're at the point of the game where they're going to, you would think, are going to have to take some risks, and they ran two plays that are not, even if they, they execute them well, are not going to gain more than probably seven, eight yards, yeah, if they're lucky, even, maybe 10 to 12. Or even like just run the ball up the middle and give Brown a little bit more space on in the event he wants to drop back or have a little bit of time, or if he has to take a sack, it's not happening in the end zone, but... Yeah, I mean, they Pitt's game plan was let's try and beat Penn State via death with a million cuts, and it just didn't work. Not exactly, exactly, yeah. Let's move on. So what things from this game, was there any one big thing that, like, encouraged you? Um, I think that the big the defense's play and the defensive line in particular – uh, I was looking at the stats earlier, and no one had, you know, no one on the line had that great game, but you hit on it. Um, Sharif Miller, um, who we weren't sure was going to play based on some some feedback and, and him leaving the game last week, um, he he had um, three tackles, all of them for a loss. Two of them were sacks. Um, Torrance Brown had three assists, you know, half the um, half tackle for a loss. Windsor had the sack. Um, Grant Haley on the sack, which is awesome, not a lineman. But I thought the defense played really well. I thought they executed their game plan really well. Um, you know, Marcus Allen, like we've all talked about, you know, missed. Um, I'm not sure how much time he actually missed. I, we looked up in the third quarter and he wasn't playing. I remember asking you about it and you weren't even aware of it. Um, he finished with uh, nine solo tackles, three more assist tackles. Um, and, of course, the, the big stop for the safety that really ultimately sealed the game. Um, but I thought it was a really solid team effort. I thought they controlled the running game really well, which as we all know is really Pitt's, um, bread and butter. Yeah. Pitt had 199 yards rushing, but that was on 45 carries. Um, Allison had 98 yards, but 32 of that was on one carry. Um, I just thought they, they played really well. They, um, the defense played really well and, you know, especially once they, they forced those couple turnovers, um, really, they they were confident that they weren't going to um, you know, let anything happen that was going to cost Penn State the game. For sure. And for me, the thing that I find so encouraging about this was Penn State showed 
that it can win a football game by not playing its game. Like, this is, like, I do think there is something to be said for the fact that this was exactly what Pitt wanted to do. I mean, when Nick and I were talking on the preview podcast, we said that the recipe for Pitt winning this game is they do not let Penn State touch the football. They keep the ball, they run it, they try and milk the clock for as much as possible. When Penn State has the ball, they're trying to apply pressure and don't let Penn State's offense get into any kind of a rhythm. And that's exactly what happened. Penn State didn't get into a rhythm. Pitt did what it wanted to do, but it didn't matter because Penn State won by 19 points. Yes, I understand three, you know, I won't say three turnovers to one just because one turnover was at the end of the game when, like, Danucci was trying to do something and the ball just slipped out of his hands. Like, the game was decided by that point, so whatever. And then McSorley's interception was on a Hail Mary and it got batted around. Like, I, I won't hold either against them because why not? But Pitt loses the turnover battle, whatever. Other than that, they did everything they needed to do to win this game, and they just couldn't because Penn State is better. Like, it's insane that we can say that, that Penn State was able to go out and go against Pitt, and Pitt was able to dictate the terms of this football game, and it just did not matter because Penn State was better than them, and Penn State was able to score 19 more points, and Penn State was able to force them into making mistakes, and all these things. And I think that's something that, going forward, when I look at Penn State's schedule for this season, next day, next week against Georgia State, I mean, whatever, Penn State's going to win that game. I think the opening line is like 38 and a half or something ridiculous like that. Iowa... We know what Iowa is as a football team. They're built kind of similar to Pittsburgh. They want to win in the trenches. They want to uh, run the football. They want to control the clock with the, and make like smart, conservative passes. We're going to see something very similar out of Michigan, very similar out of Michigan State, very similar out of Rutgers, and maybe out of Maryland. I mean, still, they're going to run the ball, but it's going to not be as, you know, like line them up and mow through them kind of way. And we saw that Penn State can win that kind of football game this week. So that makes a tricky trip to Kinnick or a home game against a Michigan team that has a legitimate case, I think, for being the best team in the Big Ten. I mean, we're, they still have some... I, I want to see what they do against teams that are better than decimated Florida and Cincinnati, but they ha- they could end up being really good. Or just all these other matchups... And we know that Penn State is comfortable playing this kind of game and they're willing to let this kind of game play out and they know that they can find ways to win by doing a handful of different things. And that's just so... It's so weird to say that because when you think of a team like Penn State, a team that is kind of dependent on the big play on offense but likes to do have longer sustained drives whenever it can... You don't think of them being able to take punches from another team like this and just be completely unfazed. And I think that is huge. I think having a game like this early in the season is big, especially going forward. And when I look at this and I look at the rest of the schedule, I think this is the kind of game that can make future games a little bit easier 
both physically because you know how you're going to get beaten up and mentally because you know what you're going to get from an opponent that wants to try and grind you into dust. And it's just awesome. It's an awesome feeling. Um, it's also an awesome feeling knowing that Pitt lost to Penn State and they now we get to be the ones who talk for the next year, but neither here nor there. Uh, is there anything that concerned you? Because outside of the fact that like McSorley didn't really look on his game and the offensive line looked like some of the uh, – almost shell game type things that Pitt was playing, you know, disguising pressure and stuff like that kind of got to them. I like, not, it, yeah, not it, nothing really. I don't think. I think the, the one thing that, that I would say may, would raise a yellow flag, not even a red flag is the offensive line. And I think it's going to be one of those two step forward, one step back kind of seasons, just because it's, they're still really young. Um, I think we're all, more than encouraged about the, the future of the line and how good I think they will they will become um, as the year goes on. Um, but this this was probably a step back, as it were, um, after they played really quite well against Akron, um, and they 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 will be better for this because they were exposed to uh, some more complex pressures and schemes by from Pitt than they were last week. And the kinds of things they'll see as they go to Iowa City here in a couple weeks, um, to Evanston not too long after that, Michigan's visit, um, you know, going on later into the year. What they saw on Saturday and we'll see on tape now, you know, going forward, will will improve them. It will give Lime Grover and the rest of the offense um, some some things that they they realize they need to work on. Um, but like like anything, you 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 probably learn more from your struggles than you do from your, your successes. And so that they, they can go to school on this, they can get better from it. Um, and I think the, the, I know this doesn't go to the, the, the worry from the game, but I think too, we keep harping on Penn state, not playing that well. The, the chances of them struggling like this again, um, seem pretty low. You know, it's been like like I said earlier. It's been over almost a year since they really didn't click on every cylinder or any cylinder for that matter. If you really want to, you know, get down to the the nuts and bolts of it, um, this has been a, a very good team for almost twelve months now. And I realize that for for a lot of Penn State fans, that um, you know this this new world of of being the hunted as opposed to the hunter. And being one of the most talented teams in the Big Ten in the country is is new, and um, you know, we haven't seen this for a while. But I, this is what good teams do, and um, you know, Penn State has been a very good team for a long time now, and there's no reason to think that because they didn't play well on Saturday against Pitt, or, or up to their standards is probably a better way to put it, that that's going to be the norm going forward. This is this will continue to be a very good team and um they will be they will be better for for having gone through this and um i like i said i don't think there's any reason to say that you know they're going to struggle you know i don't think georgia state's really um anything that we're looking at but the next the next test is going to be in iowa city in two weeks i don't think there's any reason we should say oh because they did this against Pitt, then we should be worried going forward there wasn't one of those huge um you know, glaring weaknesses that was exposed. It was, you know, Trace McSurley, you know, had had an off day. Um, the offensive line wasn't 
you know, as, do- as, as dominant as, so to, as, as it were, as we've come to expect, or we've, we've been expecting this year. Um, you know, Saquon Barkley didn't hit that explosive play that really has become commonplace. When was the last time we could say all those things happened or didn't happen? It's been that first half against Minnesota probably last year. And ever since then, in however many quarters of football they've played since then, they've been a really good team. And so I think there's no reason to expect that they won't continue to be a really good team going forward. Yeah, I mean, there's almost something funny about the fact that Penn State's streak of games where they score at least 35 points coming to an end happened in the game where they scored 33 points. Like, they're, the, the fact that we're at a point where Penn State's bad games are ones where they score 33 points against a Power 5 team and win by nearly 20 is awesome. And going forward, that's such a fun thing to contemplate and consider. And I think when you, after what happened in Columbus this weekend, I think there is, you know, there's now room for Penn State at the top of the Big Ten. There's a game plan for beating Ohio State. They they won't get the same type, uh, the same exact game against uh, Michigan, but the same type of game, one where your opponent's going to want to come out and be physical and dictate the terms of what's going to happen. And now maybe there's a path for Penn State to kind of indisputably be the best team in the Big Ten. And the fact that we're here right now is awesome, and I cannot be happier about it. Uh, just two things before we move on to looking at the weekend in the Big Ten. One, Matt, is there what was your what moment did you enjoy more? That picture of Marcus Allen or James Franklin saying this was Pitt's Super Bowl? Oh, ab- absolutely, James Franklin's quote. People I don't know if, if it was so you and I mad. talking about this. Wait, here, here's the thing: people, and I don't want to sound like I'm I'm saying this while I'm wearing a tinfoil hat, but people look for reasons to get kind of mad at Penn State. Uh, whether it's deserve it or not, like I'll leave that up to the interpretation of others. But people do kind of look for reasons to get mad at Penn State. And the fact that the general reaction to that was, holy hell, that was awesome, shows just how baller of a quote that was by James Franklin. I, I want him to take the gloves off and say that kind of stuff after a game like this. Because, you know, Pitt and Penn State, they're rivals. This is the stuff that you want coaches to say after a rivalry game. After the game last year, Pat Narduzzi was saying that Penn State was making a whole bunch of excuses for why they lost. Like, this is what you want and what is supposed to happen. And the fact that James Franklin just went out and took the gloves off and just threw haymakers at Pitt was awesome. And I, I know we've taken that quote a little bit out of context. And, yeah, and you listen right. to it in its, in its entirety, and it's he explains what he means by that. But for someone who is as media savvy as James Franklin is, there is no doubt in my mind that he knew exactly what he was saying. He knew exactly how it was going to be reported. And he was, he went with it anyway. That should tell you everything you need to know, in my opinion, about, about what he said and, and what he meant to come for that to mean. Um, I, I would not be surprised if he's had something like that on his mind for about 12 months now since last year's game. Um, and we talked about it amongst ourselves leading up to the game. You know, look how Pitt celebrated the, the win last year. Look how much, and it's not even just the fans and the forty-two thirty-nine and and being reminded of that anytime 
you know, a Pitt Penn State discussion came up. This that game last year for Pitt was their Super Bowl, whether they want to admit it or not. Um, we have heard more about that win um, from Pitt fans, not just directed towards Penn State, but just in general, than their upset win over the national champion in their house. I mean, this was yeah, that that was inarguably on a a specific you know football level was a bigger win. You know, beating Clemson in Clemson, right? And that was, for lack of a better term, an afterthought to um, the way mm-hmm. Pitt kind of handled themselves throughout the offseason. Um, you know, we were joking about it last week. I think we all got blocked by the Pitt football Twitter account when in some random January they tweeted out a picture of, I believe it was Allison. I can't remember who it was running away from a, a Penn State defender on the ground who had probably just missed a tackle. I think with it was a winky face. I think it was Henderson. And so it's... That was the kind of little, you know, you know, elbows, el- elbows that were thrown. And that's, know, the kind of that stuff, were, that's the kind of stuff you deserve to do after winning a game like that. Good for Pitt. Exactly. And and when Penn State beats you by 19 the year after in a game that wasn't that close, that's what you do. It's look, James Franklin's never going to admit that Pitt is a rival or Ohio State's a rival or or any or anyone on the schedule is. That's his he is so beholden in a good way. I wrote about this last week. The the one game at a time, you know, this game on this Saturday is our biggest game because it's our game this Saturday. It has served them very well. I think it got them to the point last year where they won the Big Ten. That mindset really allowed them to get past that two and two start. But behind closed doors, away from the microphones and the cameras, you that there's no denying that this game meant a little bit more because one, it is Penn State's in-state rival. Whatever whatever that rival is to you, it, it is Penn State's in-state rival for a number of reasons that we'll discuss next or before the game. This game meant a little bit more. Just like the game against Ohio State will mean a little bit more, the Michigan game will mean a little bit more, in, in front of the cameras will always be, this is our biggest game because it's the next one on the schedule. But it's human nature, and for someone who is as in tune with the the image and the optics and the branding of his program, this game meant more to James Franklin because of all those things on and off the field over the last really probably three plus years since he got to state college. Yeah, I mean, we I, last year after the game, while Trace McSorley was talking to the media, Tony Dorsett interrupted him with a hail the pit chant. Like that was a huge win for them. They should treat it like a huge win, and I don't think they sh- they should be uh, their Jimmy shouldn't exactly get wrestled when Penn State wants to celebrate a little bit for beating them. Uh, and then, yeah, my second thought is that uh, Pitt, at least in its current state, is simply not good enough to be Penn State's rival, and we deserve better. And with that, I think we could put a bow on this game. Uh, we'll do this again next year, and it's very. It, it's fun. This is a really good feeling comparing to the pretty complex feelings that I think a lot of Penn State fans had after last year's game. It's very nice to be able to, you know, go into work or go to class on Sunday with your head held high. And if you work with a Pitt fan, talk a little trash to him. You deserve it. Uh, going around the Big Ten, I don't think we really need to talk about too terribly much. Like, I don't think anyone really cares about 
Minnesota whooping up on Oregon State or Illinois beating Western Kentucky. I mean, good for both of them. Yeah, you know, good for that's, both of that's them. Enough, I think. I Michigan State beat Western Michigan. Sure, I mean, fine. Like like we said last week, like Michigan State just racking up wins wherever it can is after this offseason something it kind of has to do. So the fact that they're two and zero, I think, is pretty nice. Um, yeah, I mean, Indiana, <laughs> Indiana beat Virginia. Uh, Duke beat Northwestern pretty soundly. Wisconsin beat Florida Atlantic. Michigan struggled early against Cincinnati, uh, but ended up winning 36-14. Purdue beat Ohio. Uh, games that we should probably talk about. Uh, El Asico was fun. I didn't get a chance to watch any of it, so I can't really speak on it too much. I saw a little bit of the first half um, before we head into the game, and then you know, obviously you saw the final score, but um, I'm impressed that even it, it, you know it was overtime, but I'm impressed that a Kirk Ferentz team scored 40 points in, in a game that... that mattered yeah um so 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 that's a thing um i will talk about it more in two weeks that's i'm still not that convinced that's a game that penn state is needs to be too worried about but that's a like i said another discussion but um a good win for iowa they're two and oh i thought they looked pretty good in their first game against wyoming who's not that good but right. um we've seen enough weird things in the iowa iowa state series especially when they play at iowa state that um that's a, that's a good win for for iowa yeah i mean maryland whooped up on Towson, which yeah, I didn't get a chance to watch any of this because it was happening during the game, but like, there's a chance that Maryland is a very serious problem. Um, I think that the Texas game, it's very likely that them beating Texas 51-41 to in a game that should have been, you know, Texas got 21 points off of mistakes by uh, Maryland. Maybe not the most accurate representation of what Maryland is, is uh but um, maryland's got a four-game stretch i just pull up their schedule here that i think they're I know exactly what you're about to point out and i completely it, agree with everything you're about to say they're at they host ucf here in two weeks and then they go at minnesota at ohio state home against northwestern at wisconsin in four straight weeks that is and then they you know close yeah, then they host indiana. indiana at home indiana is a, is a solid team i think we'll learn a lot about about uh maryland during the the late September as in the last day of September and the month of October. Yeah, I completely agree with you on that. Um, Rutgers lost to Eastern Michigan, which... That's funny. I don't I mean, even know. Eastern Michigan's first win against a Power 5 team ever. Ever, yeah, ever. Yeah. Good, good for Eastern. You know, I'm, 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 I'm more... I think I'm happier for Eastern than I am laughing at Rutgers, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I mean, I Nick and I both... We said on last week's edition of the pod that we think Chris Ash is better than... Rutgers is going to show, but it's very hard to say something like that after you lose at home to Eastern Michigan. Um, yeah, if you, you only yeah. score 13 points against Eastern Michigan at home, that's that's probably not probably not a good sign for a team that uh, did not score in their four biggest Big Ten games last year. Oof, yeah, yeah. Uh, looking at Oregon against Nebraska, uh, Nebraska showed some fight. I mean, Oregon went up 42 nothing in. Uh, 42-14 at halftime. Uh, the game ended 42-35. Uh, Bob Diaco got shredded early. Bob Diaco's offense got shredded early, and then a defense got shredded early, and I got it on my third try, and eventually adjusted to you know slow down Justin Herbert and Royce Freeman and all them. But still not an encouraging first half. Tanner Lee... Uh, he might have been a little overhyped coming into the season. Um, is is four interceptions bad? Yeah. I'm just 
three. Okay, it is. Yeah. 19 for 41, 252 yards, three touchdowns, four interceptions. Uh, Trey Bryant had a nice game on the ground. Yeah, I mean, I think Nick has it right with Nebraska, which is until they show me how good they are, I don't necessarily believe in them as anything other than a middling team. But come I think that's, that's fair. I yeah. think if you if in Lincoln, yeah, almost if Penn State played them back, in Lincoln, I'd be a little worried. Right. And I think almost completely coming back from, you know, 42-14 at Autzen is impressive. But, yeah, I, I want to see more from them. We're rushing through all of this because I think we the one game we have to talk about is Ohio State against Oklahoma. Uh, Oklahoma Last year, Ohio State marches into Norman, just takes it to Oklahoma. Baker Mayfield can't get anything done. The Buckeyes passing attack looks really good. They were able to move the ball on the ground. And Ohio State legitimately looked like it had like all the concerns that everyone had about Ohio State last year seemed like they kind of evaporated after they went again went into Norman and just trounced Oklahoma. This year the roles were reversed. JT Barrett did not have a very good game, 19 for 35, 183 yards, no touchdowns and no touchdowns and an interception. They ran the ball all right. I mean, J.K. Dobbins, 13 carries, 72 yards on a touchdowns, nice. Barrett was fine on the ground, nothing special. Mike Weber got a few carries. And then Baker Mayfield. Uh, Weber which, got hurt again, I believe. I, I, oh, he did? Yeah, oh, he um, on, on his long run, which I think was 13 or 14 yards, 13, um, it looked yeah. like he might have re-injured that hamstring. Oh, uh, God. But, I mean, the good news for him is J.K. Dobbins is awesome. but He's very good, still, yes. Yeah. He's... He's going to be a problem for uh, yes. at least three years in Columbus. I think that's that's fair enough to say. Yeah, but I think the big thing here is that so Oklahoma has one of the best offensive lines in America. They were able to kind of take Ohio State's front seven out of this game. I I'm scrolling through right now. Ohio State had two sacks. They had two QB hurries. They had nine tackles for a loss. They were still getting into the backfield, but not like ruining Baker Mayfield or anything. But Mayfield torched them and between Indiana which has Richard Wagout who's you know he's all right and a pretty good group of receivers and then Baker Mayfield who is awesome and Oklahoma who's a pretty good group of receivers Ohio State looks like it can get beaten through the air and Ohio State also looks like it's not especially threatening on offense and when you put those two things together I still think Penn State loses uh, when it goes to Columbus. I just have a hard time seeing Penn State winning that game. But after this game against Oklahoma, Matt, I just I think there's a I feel a lot more confident about Penn State going in there and walking out with some kind of a either a win or a very very convincing loss. You and I did the podcast with Matt Brown um, the week before. I think it was the week before the, the first game. And yeah. your question was essentially what, what needs to happen for Ohio state to not wing the big 10. I think that was the, the essentially what the question was. And my answer was the three new starters in the secondary and the lack of production from their wide receivers from last year needs to continue. And I think, we we've through two games we have seen both of those because JT Barrett for 
I would say seven of the eight quarters they've played, maybe six and a half, if I'm being kind, um, has not really been able to throw the ball effectively. Um, he had a, he had that spurt against Indiana, um, and for two games now, the secondary has um, you know the the Indiana passing attack in the first half especially um, took advantage of Ohio State's secondary, and the receivers were have been non-existent with the exception of probably consistently at least Paris Campbell. And I, I did not see the first half of this game. We were busy trying to figure out what we were doing after the game. But what I saw in the second half was a secondary that when a quarterback has either time to make a throw or is able to buy time, the secondary has struggled for two games now to slow down competent passing attacks. And it's no secret that Penn State's passing attack is certainly dangerous um saturday notwithstanding that this is certainly something that is going to until we see otherwise is going to be a big question for ohio state they've got army this coming in this week which i don't think should be a problem um they host unlv two weeks after that then they go to Rutgers. then they're what i'm getting at here is is their next five games before they host Penn state. I'm not sure are anything that's really going to tell us what Ohio state is. Um, so at the very we'll least, these aren't games where they're going up against offenses that are going to be able to test that secondary and show us that, you know, when they're not going against two of the two of the 20 best passing attacks in the country and, one of them being a top five passing attack in Oklahoma, they can slow you down. Absolutely. I, I, the other thing I'll add to that too is this was certainly a different game than the Virginia Tech loss at home um, back in 2014 that really was the, the catalyst for them going on to win the national yep. championship. But let's not be so quick to write off Ohio State because they got beat by what I think we will all agree, um, and this is hard for me to say because I am you know, at the front of the bandwagon, I think driving the Oklahoma is is not that good or it doesn't have the defense to compete or whatever you want to th- call it. They're fake good, fake elite, something like that. Uh, Oklahoma is really good. Um, they slowed down, um, in my opinion, the best defensive front in the country pretty consistently on Saturday night. Um, and their defense uh, was really good. I, Ohio State has their issues on offense, but to put this all on Barrett's struggles and the lack of a really consistent receiving threat for Ohio State, I think is a huge disservice to how well Oklahoma played. Um, we all focus on Baker Mayfield because he, he's the Heisman candidate. He's 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 and the he, story. And, and, and Norman so much fun to watch. Of course, but I think because of all that. We've and, and just kind of the whole the Big 12 doesn't play defense mindset have overlooked how good Oklahoma's defense is and certainly was on Saturday night. Um, but we like the joke, and Bill, you've heard me talk about this a thousand times. But the, the worst kind of Urban Meyer is pissed off Urban Meyer, and this is a, a Ohio State team now that's lost two of its last three games. And has not looked good in two of the three. And the, the good news is they scored 16 points against Oklahoma. The bad news is the last two 
really good teams that Ohio State's played, they really were run off the field for sure in one and were a solid number two best team on the field against the other in Oklahoma on Saturday. So I think they, they've got five games to figure out in a bye week to figure it out before they host Penn State in late October. Um, but if they don't, then um, – and this is the, 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 the pessimistic Penn State fan in me where Penn State in my lifetime has played two good games – well, guys, three. Two good games in Columbus – um, they've won two, two of the three good games, I should say. The, the 0-2 game, I thought they played very well against Ohio State's eventual national championship team. But for the most part, Penn State has not played well in Columbus pretty consistently. And I realize that what happened in 1995 has no bearing on what happens in 2017. But that, that's what's in my mind, is um, I'm not going to be so quick to write off Ohio State after, after this game. Um, they certainly have have their question marks. And I, that game does not look as daunting as it did 24 hours ago, as we record this. But um, I, I'm I'm very curious to see where Ohio State goes from here because um, Urban Meyer made a lot of changes. You know, brought in Kevin Wilson, totally revamped what they wanted to do on offense, and um, they struggled to score 16 points um, against a a very good um, Oklahoma team and. They still have to play a good Penn State team. They have to go to Iowa, which is not a gimme at all. They go to Nebraska, which I, you know, I know we've talked about. Nebraska is, you know, eight and four Nebraska and hasn't played with Ohio State really since they joined the Big Ten, with one exception, the uh, the Joe Bosserman game. If Ohio State fans are listening, um, but they still have to go to to Lincoln. They host Penn State. They go to Iowa. Um, and then that game in Ann Arbor to end the year. And I said it before the year, this was, this is Jim Harbaugh's best chance to beat Ohio state since he's been at Michigan. Absolutely. Um, and this, that game just got a whole lot more winnable for Michigan. Cause that, that Michigan team's going to be really good by the end of the year if they stay healthy. Yeah. And I think bring the conversation back to the Penn state game for a second. I think what Baker Mayfield showed is that if you are able to do two things. One, have time to throw, whether it's because of your line or because of your ability to move around and get set and throw the ball. And two, push the ball downfield. I think you ha- that's your best chance to beat Ohio State. For how great Saquon Barkley is, I think Ohio State's front's really good and their back four needs some work. I think that game is reliant on McSorley and his ability to stay alive against Ohio State's pass rush and push the ball down the field when he's going to have openings among his receiving core. And I think Mayfield showed that if you can do that, you can beat Ohio State, especially if your defense is locked in, if Ohio State's receivers aren't exactly getting open which has been a problem for the last year with the Buckeyes. I mean, basically the last time the receivers were able to consistently get open and shred a secondary world was last year's Oklahoma game. And if you're able to keep JT Barrett and JK Dobbins and Mike Weber and whoever else from shredding you on the ground, if you can do those three things, and of course there's plenty of time for Ohio State to iron out some of the wrinkles that they may have, I think you can beat them 
no matter where the game takes place. And I think Penn State's going to study this tape really, really hard, see what worked. Uh, Like, I know Penn State's offensive line, while we all think it's improved, Oklahoma's offensive line is outstanding and one of the best in the country, so that's a... That's going to be a bit different, but there are things to take from this, especially in the way that you attack Ohio State with your passing game. And if Penn State is able to follow a similar game plan and if Penn State is able to execute it, I think they can go into Columbus and win. Again, I'm not convinced they do just yet, just because it's week two and I want to see some more out of both teams. But listen, we're at a point where only one team has a loss between the two and an eight Penn State. So we know Ohio State's beatable. The biggest thing that as I think about this here that I probably take away from it isn't what Oklahoma did on offense. Um, Because I don't think Penn State has the offensive line. And you said it, Bill, that Penn State doesn't have the offensive line to do exactly what Oklahoma did. But I think the biggest issue is Going into this year, we all thought Ohio State was going to be a lot better on offense. Yep. And save for about 20 minutes in Bloomington, they have been pretty much what they've been for the last at least year and probably longer. And that's, that probably gives me more hope than, than anything, that this revamped, talent-laden, Kevin Wilson-led Buckeye offense is not – not what we thought it was going to be. Like we've said a couple times, there's still a chance for it to become that. Um, but this is one of the, you know, fool me once, shame on, on you, fool me twice, or shame on me, or whatever that goes. I think I screwed that one up horribly. But Ohio State's offense is what it is at this point. I don't think, until we see otherwise consistently, there's any reason to really expect that they're suddenly going to turn this thing around and become the the 500-yard 50 point a game offense that on paper it looks like they should be um they just haven't they haven't done it consistently for the better part of a year now and probably longer to really fear it at this point yeah i I think i agree with that and i i think that after this week we have some optimism that optimism about penn state just as a team and what is on the horizon for penn state I do want to ask you one question. What game, based on what we've seen so far out of Penn State and out of these teams, are you more worried about? That trip to Columbus or the home game against Michigan? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, probably Michigan, just because I think Penn State has a confidence that they can play with Ohio State. Um, they've done it for two out of the three years that James Franklin's been at Penn State. And yes, both those times were at home. Um, but in all three games that James Franklin's coached against Michigan, they have felt like they were consistently the second best team on the field. And until I see otherwise, um, it's hard for me to say that Penn State's going to figure out how to slow down Michigan's um, attacking defense just because we haven't seen it in the the two years that Franklin has coached against Harbaugh and the three years period that he's coached against Michigan. Yes, it's at home. Yes, it's almost certainly going to be a night game. Um, and we've seen consistently how big that 
is for Penn State when they get that atmosphere at home in big games. But I still I still have that Penn State shell shock of of what's happened in Columbus pretty consistently with some pretty good teams too. Um, it's close, but I think I will say Michigan just for for that what I have seen in in practice for in three games. You know, there there really hasn't been a a, a well played Penn State game versus Michigan um, in quite a while. Yeah, I I think I agree, but I. That was just one of those things that popped into my head at the end here, and I was kind of kicking it around, and I wasn't sh- sure that I knew the answer, but I think I'm leaning towards Michigan. Uh, if they're playing, if we're talking about neutral site against both teams, I think I would ha- go with Michigan, but I don't know. I don't know. It's a, it's a weird, it, it, that's a very weird stretch, but otherwise, I, I think this weekend made me feel pretty good about basically everything else Penn State has to do. Uh, so yeah, I think that's it for this edition of the podcast. Penn State 33, Pitt 14. I cannot say that enough. I also cannot say enough thank you for listening to this edition of Royal Lions Radio. Make sure you're subscribing. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Overcast, SoundCloud. Subscribe on iTunes. Leave us a review on there, what we could do better. Uh, or if you just want to say nice things about us, I won't complain about that. Social media at RLR blog. Make sure you're giving us a follow there. Like us on Facebook. Keep sharing our stuff. Keep supporting the site. We have a brand new shirt out, our uh, Deep State shirt that has a nice little play design on it. I highly recommend you purchasing one. I admit that I'm a little bit biased in that endeavor, but still, buy our shirts. They're very nice. And yeah, one last time, thank you for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. For Matt DeBear, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.